0: The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. So, you know, we are talking about Solomon and going through his journal and, and his writings and, 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 and actually, like, like what happens with some of us sometimes, are you the kind of person that, that you process things verbally while you're thinking and people get upset with you for that reason? You know, I feel like I'm far, I feel like I'm far away. I'm gonna, I, I, you know, I'm just going to sit with you guys in a moment here. Um, at <laughs> any rate, the point, and there is one, is that I, I've tried to stop thinking out loud because I know sometimes it frightens people. Like, honey, is there a God, you know? Have you ever had you say, you're processing thoughts, you know? And, uh, and so people get a little bit unnerved because you're thinking through. You haven't arrived at a conclusion. But when you are thinking through, people think you are speaking your conclusion, and so Solomon is, is writing his thoughts. He hasn't come to the conclusion yet. It's still coming. And so here's a guy we've, we've talked about. He, is, uh, he was a former prince of Israel. Probably never worked an honest day in his life. Never had any calluses. His dad is David, which means that, um, you know, I mean, like I've joked before, it's, you know, it's Bono and General Powell all wrapped up in one. The guy was a musician. He was a lyricist. He was a great administrator. He organized all of the the, the, the the priests in a rotation through that great temple that was built. He gathered all the building material. Um, he fought wars. He, he was able to gather these 200 incredibly awesome guys as warriors. And then there was a group of 10 from them. He forged uh, 12 loose tribes into a nation. Um, he was a redhead, uh, traditionally speaking. You know, it's neither here or there, but it's... Probably stood out in the Middle East, you know, red hair. Hey, Carrot Top, you know. And um, just an incre- incredible, incredible man. And then now you're his son. And so nothing that Solomon developed as far as character, if he had much, was ever developed the way his dad's was. And then all of a sudden uh, he's told, that, hey, you've got to be in charge now. And, uh, and maybe he felt, uh, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm not my dad. I didn't, uh, how do I learn to be the guy? And so he prays. And he says, I need wisdom, help me, I'm just a young guy, and now I have to run this whole thing, I have to run this nation. And so God gives him an incredible dose or gift of wisdom, and he never takes it back. And, and he says, and since you didn't ask for money or wealth or honor, I'm going to give you that too. And so he gets all that, and I think maybe because of the way that was, that prayer was, you know, you know, rolled out, most of us sometimes think that, oh, if I ask God for wisdom, I'll get money too, you know, I can, okay, doesn't quite work that way, but... I see, but if you have wives, you know how to make money. So at any rate, uh, uh, so he uh, is, in, in history, he's, it's almost like a cliche, you know, it's the wisdom of Solomon. And, and we've read some of the things of how he established himself. But um, in reading this journal and in reading about his life and in reading, uh, in, whether you go to Samuel and Kings or Chronicles, you don't get, you know, you, you, you don't really walk away with the impression that maybe he was as dialed into his faith as his dad was. As you recall, um, there is approximately 1,000 women he marries. Well, 700. The, the, the rest were you know, mistresses on the side, so I don't know. Was it... I'm just going to say that it, it, there's some cultures that that's more accepted or understood. You know? um, At any rate, so, I mean, like, wow, I mean, you, know, you just, I don't know, can't get enough. You know, today, I don't know, I don't get that. And, and, and he has all the money no accountability, and all the time to do what he wants. He's a king, for crying out loud. This is not the president with a cabinet and has to make decisions by consensus. This is not a democracy. This is a monarchy. What I decide to do, I get to do. And so he pursued all forms of fulfillment, like we all do. Whether it's intentional or not, um, he builds parks. He builds incredible gardens. He builds waterworks. He uh, uh, delves into the arts, um, singers and dancers and... And then he tries the, the idea of, of pleasure, you know, great food as a gourmet, great wine as a, as a wine connoisseur, uh, so many different women. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And, and, and along the way, you kind of see the arc of his story's life. He begins his story as being given Israel and this great gift of wisdom. Somewhere along the line, he writes uh, the book of Solomon to get an idea of uh, the, you know, just this incredible a passionate, uh, you know, erotic book of, of of intimate love. Then there's a collection of his sayings and other sayings uh, from other men as well, it's the Book of Proverbs. But it seems like this book, Ecclesiastes, is written towards the end of his life, when you know, when he's just beginning to come to the close of his life, and he's not really happy with everything that's turned out. and And the theme is meaningless, meaningless, or it's all vanity, it's all worthless. There's no purpose. To what we do, quote, under the sun, and that's the key phrase, because if if um, if you truly live in a way where you disconnect yourself from a spiritual reality, and you try to look into the future, uh, you know you probably only see more darkness. I mean, there's not a whole lot of hope if if truly everything that's around here, all that we have is just what we can see and feel. I mean, why do anything right? I've never understood how people, and I, I know that there are, but I don't understand how people who don't subscribe to or have a, a moral code that's tied to God live their life well. Some do, I just don't understand how. Um, because, you know, aren't some, aren't some of us in this room the kind of people that, you know, even you're tied to God, you're having trouble living your life well. You know, you're, you're, there's that pull, you know, uh, to darkness. And, and why do we do that? Because it feels good. I mean, let's be honest, that's just how it is. Um, So, it is what it is. So he comes to this particular chapter, and we've read all the things he discusses about all the things that make no sense. No matter what I do, I find no purpose. No matter what I try, I find no purpose. And he's coming to the close of his life, and then he writes this particular story, uh, this particular journal entry in chapter 11. So let let me go ahead and turn to that. And uh, so he comes to chapter eleven, and he begins to start to, you might say, sort of soften a little bit and give advice to people who are younger. And like, if you're going to live, this is how you should live. I recall once in um, uh, the um, was doing a training in a corporate environment. Well, that's what I, I used to do most of the time. Whether it was Verizon or with AT and T, that was part of AT and T at one time and all that. But most of my life was spent in sales or sales management and that kind of thing. But I was trying to sh- tell these young sales reps, these new people coming into the company, about the decisions they're going to make in the corporation. Like, you know, what, what choices they're going to make. And I mentioned, you know, you want to be careful of the decisions that you're going to make because eventually those decisions make you. So when you meet people who are older and grayer and, you know, they seem kind and they're sweet and they're, they're good to be around, that's because when they were younger people, they made right decisions or they made decisions to be that person. But when you meet people who are older and they're bitter and they're nasty and they're, j- they're just horrible people to be around, you're like, you know, there is probably some selfishness in the decision that they're making. And so the reason why you see that slide up there is that you, you want to be careful of the road you choose because you're going to be on it for a while. You know, there, there's different paths, different journeys, different ways to live. But the road that you choose and how you're going to live, you want to think twice. Is this going to take me to where I want to go? I um, Actually, even before I read this chapter, one last tidbit. Back in 1985, I read a book that began with the end of the guy's life. It talked about his death and his funeral. And people loved this guy. He had a great impact, and he was just an amazing man. But that's where the story started. And then it went backwards to start off as a young person. Actually, he died at 44, so he's pretty young. And uh, so I remember thinking, wow, you know, if you think in terms of how you want to end up when you die, then you'll make choices differently when you're still, you know, alive. And uh, but so Solomon is actually kind of giving that kind of advice to people. Like, well, if you're young or even not so young, it doesn't really matter. The road you're on is not your final destiny. You know, the, the chapter, your past, your, your, your biography so far does not have to be all of your story. You can be a different person. And this is some of the advice that Solomon gives for that. So chapter 11, here, it's, here it goes. This is going to be very, very clear Cast your bread upon many waters Or your pan, you know, uh, your tortillas And for after many days You will find it again Give portions to seven uh, Yes to eight And for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land If clouds are full of water They pour rain upon the earth Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north In the place where it falls, there it will lie Isn't that really powerful wisdom? That is, wow We could just close there, couldn't we? You can live on that for the rest of the week. It's like wherever you go, there you are. Where it falls, there it lies. Okay. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how a body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God and the maker of all things. Therefore, or so, sow your seed in the morning... And every, and at the evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. You know, there's always, um, there's always a, a, a source, it seems like, for wisdom. This particular little verse in verse 1, cast your bread on many waters, is actually, it has an Egyptian source, and it's, uh, it, it's older than this book. My point is that this is probably not a proverb. It's not original. It's just pointed out here in this book that Solomon is saying, you know, this is actually how life kind of works. Maybe his dad told him about it. Maybe he heard it from another source. But he put it into this particular book. And, and so, you know, he uses this analogy of bread. And, and um, how many of you... Are you those kind of people that you always have to buy milk? Like, you're never sure if you have enough milk, right? Because, you know, for god forbid that you run out of milk you know, like, in fact how, how many of you have been so desperate for cereal at night because sometimes I can't sleep at night and so I, I get up there's two things that I know will fix it well three alcohol I've tried to kind of cut down but the, the, the pancakes right the carb coma like do I really want to get dressed and drive to Norm's because let's face it that's the only thing Norm's does well is pancakes uh, or do I want to have a bowl of cereal and it's so pathetic when you, you put the cereal in the freaking bowl, you're like, okay, sleep is just a moment away. You go to the fridge, beer, 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 beer salami, beer, beer, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's my wife's fridge. And so anyway, the point is that, like, <laughs> mine is holy water, holy water, holy water now. <laughs> you, go, you go, oh, milk, awesome. And you pour it out, it's like cottage cheese, <clears throat> like, okay, maybe not, maybe not good. And so you get desperate. You start thinking, okay, what can I make milk out of my refrigerator? <laughs> so you go for the half and half. Wait, it gets worse. And then you decide, so you go, okay, all right, this is going to be too creamy. So you, you know, maybe, you know, water, something. You know. Okay, that's not working. And then, okay, I've done this, the cremora. I've actually tried to make it out of cremora. Yeah, when you're, when you're jonesing for sleep, you'll try anything. So I go to my wife's fridge, beer, beer, no. Uh, but he uses bread. I, I said that to say about, you know, I'm some people like this with bread. You cannot go to the market without buying a loaf of bread. And you'll have loaves stacked up in your freezer. Just shoving it in there. Because you never know when there's going to be a, 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 a desperate need for toast. You just never know when someone's going to be, needs toast. And so you put it in the freezer, and what happens? It just dries out and it becomes a mess. Or, you go, I'm not going to put it in the freezer. Because, you I know, forget about it. So I'm going to put it in baggies with a Ziploc, and I'm going to leave it out and, And then, you know, like three days later, well, actually, if you buy it from a regular supermarket, it'll last a year, right? You buy it from Trader Joe's, it's two days, and then it's moldy because there's no preservatives. Solomon is kind of saying instead of trying to freeze it and store it and and, and trying to put it away and and keeping it, because you know what? Give your resources away. Now, everything about this screams, everything about this in our culture, and even if you're just a normal, rational human being, you're thinking, no, I should keep what I have. Because I never know when I'm going to need it. And God is saying through Solomon, that's exactly why you should give it away. Because you don't know when it's, I'm going to bring it back to you. And don't keep track of it. Live a generous life. Give away <laughs> your bond, as it were. So the primary point is really about generosity, these first couple of verses. It's, not, it, 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 it's almost a, 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 a caution about being careful. Now, I'm not talking about being careless. I'm talking about being careful. Versus generosity, because there's a part of us, and, and you know I feel it in this group. You're, you're thinking, well, you know, you don't, you need to be saved. You need to be. I, I, this is not a, a rant about saving or investing or managing your money well, but it is a call to becoming a generous person. And generosity is not just an action. Well, let me, let me just give away the clothes that I don't want to wear anymore or can't fit in. Um, but being generous with everything that's about your life. So it's not just an action, it's an attitude. It's not a situation where I, I do this one thing for at one time. But it's a, it's a condition of your soul. It's, it's your posture. It's, this is who I am. So it, the generosity really involves more than just your stuff. It really involves you. It's your soul that is the call to share and give for. Now, I, I tend to be the kind of person that has... Um, you know, are, are you kind of people that kind of go up and down with, with stuff? You sort of binge and purge? Maybe not food-wise, but I mean maybe you food-wise, but, but, you know, you, you do things in like spurts. How many of you actually, at times, you actually feel guilty that you don't read the Bible every day, uh, but, but, you know, and, and, and so some will say, pastor, how do you, you know, Octavio, yes, pastor. So, okay. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm kind of a binge and purge guy with, with, with scripture reading, you know, it's kind of like break meal and stuff. And, and some of you, you do that with your eating, you know, you have one meal a day and then you snack all day long, right? Like if I have breakfast, I don't, need to, I don't need to eat again the rest of the day. Hence, you know, the minimalist <laughs> thing, thing that I am here. But um, my point in the is, is that some of us do that way with, with our actions, with our generosity, with our giving. Like you're all into it for a while and you want to give, give, give. And then you stop or you get tired or you realize, oh, I should not have given that away. I really wanted that coat. I needed that money. So this is not even just this frenzied, go start giving. It's really a question of, am I a generous person? See, Solomon is asking the question, look, if you live a life of generosity, if you're casting your bread upon many waters, you don't know when it's going to come back to you. Don't keep track of it. Give it to seven. No, give it to eight. But either way, don't keep track. Don't keep a clipboard. Somebody owes you because you did something for them. Have you ever been that person where you get a call for a favor? Hey, I took you to the airport 20 years ago. Can you, you know, lend me $1,000? Well, how's that come out? Um, like, don't even keep track of what that is. Just be a person that your, your posture, your worldview, the condition of your soul is that I live a generous life. And, and he's saying that, that there, it is God that takes care of you in the end. So it has, it has a lot more to do than uh, with the idea of, of just cutting a check meaninglessly or you know, doing something where you really have not part of your heart into it. And even the idea of doing something good, you know, I'll give you a caution that I have found over and over again in my life. If you're going to do something good for other people, don't do it expecting to be compensated and don't do it for the money. Um, I've, I've shared with you last week that, you know, we're, we're launching, uh, there's a group of us, five of us in here who are, we're launching a, a new magazine where our goal, there's, there's no money involved. I mean, I think I was joking with you last week Hey, what's our budget? Oh, great, No money's, money's no object Because truly, money is no object We have no money for this But you know, we have a, a couple of people involved in it Writers and an art director and a creative designer You know, it's, it's coming together But our long-term goal was not to uh, make money from it It could happen But we wanted to promote local artists Local bands, local restaurants, local eateries and so there are people that will charge them to advertise on a website, shopwoodier.com or other places, right? So we're, we're going in there saying, hey, we'll do this for free. We're going to write a great story about you, great review about your stuff, your art, your music. Everything will be positive, And we want to put down contact information where people can get a hold of you. And then we'll shoot it out. Everybody wins. So if you give your art away or if you give your life away as a gift to others, there's the compensation. If that, see, but if that's not enough, then, uh, then there's, there's a part of you that, that is living in fear that I have to hang on to what I got because I don't know when I'll need it. See, some of you are thinking the opposite of greed is, is generosity. It isn't. The opposite, you know, greed is tied into fear, greed is always a, a component of fear. And so when he goes on later in that little story here, this little, this little portion we're reading here in verses 1 through 6, he says, you know, have you noticed that people don't stop having kids because they don't figure out how a baby is formed? People still do it. He goes, and so if you have a posture where you're trusting God, but you need to know exactly how God is going to pay you back, forget it. Now, I I have been released from one thing, though sometimes it drives others a little bit crazy. I don't have a lust for certainty. I don't need to know. I mean, I'll make decisions with no facts. No problem. I have no problem giving my opinion on any subject, even if I don't know about it. But I don't have a lust for certainty. And unfortunately, I know some of you do. You need to know exactly how it's going to work out. Now, I I get that. There's, There's a place for it. Yeah, I'm fortunate that some of the people that help and work with me In this particular group, this church is gathering Are people who can execute and they admin and they know the steps you know, I, I, I'm free from that burden you know, I, <laughs> I, I'm the guy that likes to dream up some chaos And let's implement it somehow Today, oh wait Octavia, we need to do something, we need to plan Plan? I've heard of planning, speak to me of this planning um, But see, I, 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 I don't need to know how I, I'm trusting that God will. So either he, either, either he can or he can't. That's what it comes down to. Either I trust what he says, that I'll I'll keep track of your generosity. I'll pay you back. I'll guard you when you feel like you're low. I'll take care of you when, those, when the needs come in and you feel like you don't have enough. I'll be that person, but if you're trying to be that person managing and keeping the bookkeeping in your life, forget it. And so, um, when he goes on, he explains here, um, in verse five, uh, "Hey, it, you don't know where the path of the wind. You don't know how a body is formed, and you know God is the maker of all things." But and in also in that, in that little section here, verses three through five, you know, there's there's also you might say a, a call to or an encouragement to just stop making excuses and and just pursue doing the right thing. Look. I know this, that the one benefit of, uh, you know, my wife and I will both be 53, October, November. The one benefit about hitting my age <clears throat> is that you, have, you can look back, and there were times in my 20s and 30s and 40s that I thought, oh my gosh, I'll never recover from this. You know, when you're being hooked up, taken to Hollenbeck Station, you think, hmm, this is awkward, I'm not going to recover from this, you know. When you're handed a blanket at Parker Center, you think, man, this is not good, you know. <laughs> Uh, But, my point, and there is one, is that um, you have the advantage of looking back and saying, you know what, had I done this, I I could have avoided that. Or, when I thought this was all over, actually it wasn't over, it was just an attitude check for me. That's the one advantage of getting a little bit older. Well, there's others, but that should be one. You get to develop a history of how God has been kind to you, even when you were just an idiot. So here's the other thing. Looking back, I know there's always a reason to not start a new project, to hesitate investing in someone's life, to uh, think that somehow you've made some huge mistake and your life's over and you have, you have done the thing that has defined you for the rest of your life. Now, if, if you get nothing else out of this morning, let me, let me give you one thing I hopefully you'll take away. Your worst moment does not define you for life. It's a chapter in your book that makes you more interesting, but it it does not define you for life. We are not defined by our worst. There's always a reason to not sometimes do the right thing and start over or start new. I'm too old. I'm too broke. I've screwed up too often. I can't be trusted with this. Um, I shouldn't. I don't have the resources. I don't know. There's always a reason not to do something right. I think sometimes we just want certainty that it's going to work. And and, uh, look, part of following Jesus really does involve risk. How many of you know now, after whatever number of years or months of connecting to God, that you realize he doesn't tell you the end of your story? I want you to move this way or do this. What's going to happen? I'll tell you when you get there. (laughs) I want you to go this way. Which way? North. Which road? Pick one. Uh, what do I do if I get tired? Stop? <laughs> go Mimi's? I don't know. What, what do you ever need, need to do? Look, let, let, me, let me encourage you this. And, and this is the part about freedom that really we don't like. Because I, I think there's some of us, and I know I used to live this way. I'd rather be told what to do than given the, than given the dignity and the responsibility of choosing to do, if, you're, if your soul is healthy, if your heart is right, if you're, if you're trying to connect to God, do what you want. Now, I, I know that may seem odd, but that's sort of the story of the scriptures. Yes, there's guidelines. Yes, there's some commands. Yes, there's principles to live by. But look, I have never been a person where, you know, your parents, some of you have nieces and nephews that you love. Have you ever seen or ever been that person, maybe you were, maybe in a very rotten moment, but, you know, your kid gives you this little thing that they make, right? Macaroni art, the, the rooster, the turkey thing with the hand, the cardboard paper necktie on Father's Day, right? Have you ever said to your kid, this is stupid. I can't believe you're, when you learn how to do it better, then give it to me, Bam, right in their faces, I'm so sorry, that hurt you, didn't it? <laughs> but see, we don't do that as people, right? So if God says one of his primary identifiers is father in heaven, do you, can you understand that we, we make those attempts to do the right thing to please him? That even if they're goofy, it's not like, I can't believe you did this. When you can do it better, come back to me, you know? Come on, that, that's not him. And, you know, the funny thing is, sometimes kids never grow out of that art. You know, that's all they can do. But some come to the artist. Look, give your life away as a gift. God is never displeased with the right motive or the right cause or the right reason. And you never know where, where he'll take that. So don't wait for a perfect condition. Look, you know, I think most of us so want the perfect situation and the condition before we do anything that we do nothing. How many of you still have... You still have plans to go back to school. You're still going to lose that weight. You're still going I'm going to read the Bible one of these days. Cover to cover. Well, what's, you know, I'm going to stop filling the blank and start filling that blank. Why wait? And others of us have so many things that we, we're going to be doing big things. Look, honestly, start with something small. Be faithful and consistent in one, maybe one, one area in your life. And, and what I've noticed is that it seems to release faithfulness or consistency in so many other areas of your life. Some of us take on such big projects that we're just overwhelmed by them. Um, that maybe it's just the first little small baby steps to develop perseverance, consistency in our lives. So uh, others of you, because you're young, you're in your 20s, you know, you're strong, you haven't crashed yet. Um, you know you just the world 's your oyster, any, you have so many options open to you so here 's my advice: keep running, keep going until you hear or no if you 're connected to God, any crazy idea that enters your head, you love God and the community is with you, your soul is healthy. go for it. <laughs> I know some of your parents thinking don 't tell my son that he wants to get a tattoo." So how is it all going to work out? Okay, this is where I've given a lot of thought to it, and I've prayerfully considered this. So I want you to hear this. I don't know. But that's what verse 5 is talking about. Look, we don't know how many things work out, and we still do them. That's why he mentions that whole baby thing in there. God is the maker. God is the keeper. God is the accountant. God is the one that, that, that works. Look, when you're following Christ, you're not talking about a rational life. Right, you're talking about a life that you're you're claiming to believe in—a God that's invisible, a God that made you, a God that has a future, a God that will enter into your story and physically enter into you, literally become part of your life, energizes you from the inside out, changes you, commits to you. That's not rational necessarily. It's not irrational. It's just it goes beyond reason. It goes beyond where reason can't take us. It is. Trusting, it is you know an old-fashioned word. It is faith. It is belief, and that's I know that. And I know that's the frustrating part for some of us. Listen, I I truly, truly know that, because you want to see and be certain before you take a step forward. It it reminds me classically of that um, the 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 last Raiders of the Ark film, the last crusade. Not not that piece of junk they threw out (laughs) at the last minute. Do you remember that scene where he's crossing over to go to get the grail and he's looking and like, he's supposed to walk and he's like, oh, okay, how do I do this? And he takes the step and it was solid. Anybody sound familiar, sort of? Okay. That's what it's like. Uh, it's, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, following Christ, if you want to know how it works, you have to do it to see how it works. There's, there's no, you know, people can tell you what they've experienced. It may sound nutty. People can tell you what, it, what it's like. And it may sound crazy. But really, if you want to know how it works, you just have to do it. To see how it works with you and part of the community. So, <clears throat> okay. So let's take a look at this. So, if you look at, if you're looking at this whole chapter, it's you know, it's, it's trusting God to keep a record of your generosity into your life. It's it's being the kind of person who avoids excuses and pursues um, doing the right thing for the right place. And but but verse six, he sums up this little section here about working hard. And he uses the metaphors and analogy of morning and evening for our beginning and end of life. Uh, so l- let me let me say this real quickly and I'll kind of touch on this point because we're going to close in a few moments. Truly, 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 I want you to hear this. There's very few things you can do in your 20s and 30s that are final. Th- they're just not. A bankruptcy, a, uh, you know, a, a, a crash, I mean, some law being broken. I mean, there's just very few things you do in your 20s, even 30s that are final, that they define you. I mean, you know, I guess if you get caught in prison. But even then, I mean, there's, there's opportunities to be a different person. And some of us, I know, you're so feeling the weight of a past failure or a past darkness or, or difficulty that you just don't do anything else going forward. Because you're living here. You, 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 you think the story of your life is the previous chapters. Where Paul gives us at least a hope and encouragement that... He says, hey, if we're keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith, he writes our stories. He perfects it. All right. So, and and then this verse, he's saying, you know, listen, get started now. Right now, you're alive, you're awake, you're listening to this. You're in this book, you're in this conversation, you're in this series, you're in this church. Get started now. Start doing the right thing right now. It could be just one area of your life. Maybe you've you've hesitated. Maybe you're wondering, I'm praying about this. Should I do this good thing? Well, let me help you with this answer. Generally, yes. It's a good thing. Yes. Before the night when no one else can work. Before there's times when you're not, you know, you come to the winter of your life and you just maybe not be able to be the same person. Uh, A friend of mine, some of you know that I went back to school. Um, I'm the oldest living freshman right now in college. In fact, it's funny, because even just Monday, this, uh, this woman who was actually dressed well, professional, you know, looked sane and normal, she walked up to me, she goes, I make it a point to meet all the new professors and adjuncts. And so I just wanted to, I'm so-and-so, the executive so-and-so. Oh, awesome. Well, you keep looking for that new professor and adjunct, because I'm a freshman, you know. And uh, so this fellow, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Rick, he sent me an article late last night uh, about this woman who graduated from college at 94. Yeah, you got to hand it to her, right? You know, and, and she's the second oldest person to have done that. The first is some ninety-five, and uh, and you know they taught themselves Greek. You know, just in, incredible person. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know, why why do we assume that as you hit to a certain age that you're supposed to stop learning or growing or expanding or investing in others, new projects starting, creating new problems, starting new troubles. What kind of mess can I get into today? <laughs> and then a couple of cautionary notes. Look, <clears throat> when you're busy, uh, there are going to be times that there will seem to be kind of a lull in between activities, in between projects. And I know this as certain as, as I know anything. is that that's when, that's, if, if there's ever a time when, when you, know, you feel like you're questioning your value, questioning your worth, or questioning if it's worth it, that's when it's going to happen, when you're not busy. I'm not talking about being busy, where you're just running around, exhausted and chaotic and frantic. I'm just telling you that when there's a lull, that if there's ever a an attack or self-doubt's going to kick in, it's right in those moments when you're not busy, when you're in between stuff. Does it matter? Who really cares? Because some of us are going to be doing good things where it seems like there's no result right away. Like You know, again, does it matter? Uh, I'm going to tell you, it does matter. This is part of going back to verse 1. It's when you're giving and casting your bread upon many waters. You don't know what's going to come back to you. What will succeed? I mean, look what he does. Look what he says here at the end of this verse. Um, And at evening, let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, whether both will do equally well. Some of us have the impression that maybe the most productive powerful years are those years in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and yet I can tell you from history a lot of great men and women live their most productive years in their 60s and 70s and 80s you don't know what, what you do how it will turn out in the end so age cannot be one of those conditions that prevent you from doing the right thing whether you're too you feel like you're too young or you're too old and here's the last thing this is, this is not a call to just go hog wild doing crazy things. Um, so, I mean, after all that, it sounds like I'm putting the brakes on it. Here's, here's what I'll tell you. Th- there is a huge benefit, Proverbs tells us, in a community. People who love you, people who care about you, people who see your blind spots that you just don't see. Hey, I'm thinking of doing this. Really, you're going to climb up? Mount Kilimanjaro, and he's uh, you know, you smoking a pack a day. Well, all right. Uh, here's what I think you ought to do. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, I know that what the ideas and the propulsion that God gives us doesn't make sense to anybody. I get that. But one of the huge benefits of being in a community of people who care for you, people who love you, is that they can be your support, and sometimes they'll join you. You know, there's that proverb... That if you want to go fast, you have to go alone. But if you want to go further, you want to go long, you want to last, you have to go with others. Our lives are not meant to be lived alone. Our lives are not meant to be, you know, uh, have this solitary, you know, success moment. Really, the biggest successes and the most fulfilling moments in your life, the the moments with the most meaning, are usually with a group of people or with at least another person. And so when Solomon tells us to move forward and go ahead, this is not a call to just do this solitary project, to be your own man or be your own woman. But if you live in a generous life, if you're taking risks, if your soul is correct, then maybe the, the best thing you could do right now is continue to be a person that lives in a way that attracts others. Because it's God that's keeping track anyways of your life. Hey, let me close with you uh, for a moment in prayer, and then we have uh, some announcements. Father, I, I do want to thank you that, that, that you're not a God who forgets, and you're not a God who doesn't care, and you're not a God who isn't interested in our lives. That you're a God that restores us and, and, and relieves us of our messes. And so, what I do pray is for folks that are perhaps feeling these moments of regret or past failure, that it feels like a restraint that they would be set free from that. I pray for folks who are disconnected from you this morning and, and, and feel distant, that they would connect to you through, their son, through your son, Jesus Christ, because you are good and you are looking for each of us to connect to you. So thank you for these words from Solomon. Help us to remember and how to apply them into our lives, I pray. In your son's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.